my name is yelled out, that way I won't forget it. That was an awesome worship set, huh? Amen. Man called the church, and uh, he uh, got the secretary, and he said, I'd like to speak to the head hog of the troughs. And the secretary, of course, was a little offended at that. She said, do you mean the senior pastor? If you're talking about you want to talk to the senior pastor, then you need to say, I want to talk to the pastor. And the man said, oh, well, you know, I just was calling to let the pastor know that I wanted to give a $10,000 donation to the building fund. And the secretary replied, hold on, I think Porky just walked in. (laughs) You know, and uh, money does speak, doesn't it? You know, I was uh, listening to a preacher this week, very disturbing, but he said it's all about the money. And too often, sadly, it is all about the money. But I think we'll find out this morning it's not all about the money. And I do want to continue our series in the book of Philippians, and it's a great, great book. And uh, this morning I've entitled the message, What Race Are You Running? What race are you running? And Lord, I just thank you already for what's transpired here. I thank you again for uh, our worship teams, Lord. Uh, They're just uh, such a blessing, more than they know. And I thank you for each and every one of them and the time that they put forth and the willingness to be a vessel. And Lord, that's what it's all about, just the willingness to be a vessel. You can do great things through us if we would just allow it. And I just thank you for what we just saw that display right now in the worship time. And I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me. And I truly would be a vessel for you in these next several minutes. I thank you for each person that you've brought here. You brought them, Lord, because you, you love them and you have something for them. You have something for each and every single one of us. And I pray that you would give us soft hearts and, uh, that could receive and ears that would hear. I also, again, pray for myself that I would truly speak your words and not the words of man. And so I just thank you for what you will do now in the next several minutes, and I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Apostle Paul writes in uh, Philippians chapter 2, in verses 14 through 16, this. Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain, and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. You know, Paul says this morning, hold on firmly to the word of life. Hold on firmly to the word of life. Why? Because he says, I don't want my life to be run in vain. And more importantly, he says to the Philippians, I don't want your life to be run in vain. You know, Paul couldn't think of anything worse to happen to any single human being than at the end of their life to stand before Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the judge of all judge, and to hear him say, you wasted your life. You wasted the one life that I gave you. 
You know, far too many people, at least in America, are busy climbing the ladder of success only to find out at the end of their lives that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. The key, Paul tells us this morning, to running a victorious race depends on what is your owner's manual. What book are you really following? What person, maybe, are you really following? What set of ideas are you really following? This is not an academic exercise, by the way. Skip, can you put up the picture? Adolf Hitler. You know, people look at Hitler and quite often they're just revolted by Adolf Hitler. You know, we we think he's a freak of nature, an aberration. We we, we think he's a, 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 a madman. Maybe so. But let me ask you a question. See, the question we never ask, though, is this question. How did Hitler become Hitler? Have you ever thought about that? Do you think it just happened? Think he popped out of the womb? And he had the little mustache? No. How did Hitler become Hitler? With a man. Skip, can you put up his picture? You may not know him. That's Frederick Nietzsche. Now, if you've gone to college or maybe high school and studied philosophy, then you're familiar with Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche is one of the great atheistic philosophers of all times. In fact, Hitler imbibed Nietzsche, drank Nietzsche in. Now, his writings, by the way, are tough. They're somewhat convoluted. Let me give you, though, what Nietzsche believed in a nutshell. Number one, listen to this. He believed God is dead. Evolution is true. Christianity weakens the human race. Truth is relative. Good and evil do not really exist. Weakness is bad. Power is good. The weak, the deformed, and intellectually challenged should not be allowed to reproduce. That is what Frederick Nietzsche advocated, Adolf Hitler drank him in, and he adopted, he chose as his form of government, fascism, which is highly an autocratic form of government, highly controlling. And not only that, he believed from Nietzsche that the Aryan race was a superior race, and the end result was this picture. Skip, can you put it up? Do not tell me, do not tell me that ideas do not have ideas. That consequences. They absolutely have consequences. Adolf Hitler imbibes Nietzsche. In the end, six million people are slaughtered in Auschwitz and Buchenwald and Treblinka. Oh, they absolutely have consequences, ideas. My father's Bible. Skip, can you put up the picture? Anne Ran, Atlas Shrugged. That was my dad's Bible. I don't know. How many here have ever read that book? Just, I'm just curious. Just raise them high. You can admit it. That was my dad's Bible. That thing's over 1,200 pages, almost 1,300 pages. He actually read that book 13 th- times through. He had that book on his bedstand. And Atlas Shrugged encapsulated the philosophy of Ayn Rand. Here's what Ayn Rand actually believed in a nutshell individualism is good 
Hard work is good. Government, at least too much of it, is bad. Capitalism, competition is very good. And finally, making money, prosperity is true freedom. And my father lived out that philosophy. And it wasn't until the very end of his life that he realized the total bankruptness of that philosophy. But you know, it's better late than never, isn't it? He realized near the very end of his life that when he was going to stand before Jesus Christ, he said, all that I've done doesn't matter, does it, son? And I said, you're right, Dad, it doesn't. But you can do, this can be your finest moment, your finest hour, if you will finally bend the knee to Jesus Christ. And he did at the nth hour of his life. Ideas do matter. So I'm going to ask you, what is your book really? What person are you really following? What set of ideas really is driving your life? Paul does not stutter here, by the way. He unashamedly says, if you're born again, if you say that you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, then he says in Philippians 2.16, you need to hold on to this book with every single thing that you have. The Greek actually is pretty powerful here. It means to believe strongly in this book. It actually means that you place your full weight, your full trust, your entirety of your life right here. On this book. I mean, you're putting all your eggs in the Bible basket. That's what he's talking about here. You know, it's interesting. I went to India. Came back a couple weeks ago. Skip, can you put up the picture? And that's one of their buildings. We helped actually build that. I think it's around $15,000. It's amazing what you can do with $15,000. And you can see how they're just crammed in there. It would be... Um, you know, one-tenth of one of these buildings here. And what's interesting, though, in in, in India, as you see, you can see, uh, you probably don't like this, but the kids are in the front. You can't see them. Then you see the women. They're all seated, you know, and then the men, of course, get the chairs. (laughs) Kind of interesting, a little chauvinistic, but hey, kind of works that way. And what was intriguing to me, though, as you can't see it, is the kids, if they were at least four years old, guess what? They they brought their Bible. No, uh, here, here, I'm seeing these little kids and they're looking up at me with their Bibles. And I mean, their Bibles are actually tattered. You know what that means? It means they're reading them. No, they're reading them. And then they would have little notebooks with pencils and they're, and they're taking notes. Not just the kids. So, you know, you wonder what kind of kids program they have in India? Youth program? They just come to church. Isn't it something? And then I would yell out a scripture. No, this is true. It was embarrassing to me. I'd yell out a scripture. And before I could even get there myself, they're, you know, and they're, and they're barking the scripture out. These guys drink this thing. Now get this. They go to church on Sunday, usually about 10 o'clock. Their service gets over somewhere around, you know, two or three. And they have a meal with that. Then guess what? Then they have church five nights a week. Five nights a week. They're drinking this thing in. No, they're drinking this thing in. Now, you know what's sad, though, is think about the American Christian just for a moment. These are not my statistics that that I'm going to give you. But the average Christian in America will go to church about twice a month, maybe three times. 
that's a strongly church person. And not only that, they very rarely pick up this book. In fact, if they pick it up, it's maybe two times a week for about 15 minutes at a time. But you know what? The study showed showed that most people, the only time they're picking up this book is when they actually go to church. So, you know, every Sunday, dust that sucker off and they come on in and they're going to read the scriptures off the screen anyhow. No, and we wonder why, no, we wonder why we're, we're experiencing defeat. We wonder why the church is so worldly. No one questions that the world is more impacting the American church than the church is impacting the world. And, you know, it's sad because Jesus meant for every single person here to live victoriously, not to be under the weight of sin and guilt and condemnation. Skip, can you put up Dr. Arnie Cole? You may not know Dr. Arnie Cole. Maybe we didn't get his picture up there. He might be able to find. Dr. Arnie Cole is actually the president and CEO of Back to the Bible. And several years ago, he came out with a landmark study. The study had to do with this book, the Bible, and the results of Bible engagement and how impactful it was. Now listen to this. He found out that nothing... I mean, he, he surveyed over 100,000 people. So this is some small study. You can read it for yourself. But he, what he found was nothing changed and transformed a life or behavior more than truth. This book. Now, I'm a preacher. He said church, going to church, giving money, um, praying, Sunday school, small group. He said those are good. Don't stop. But he said they're not anywhere as powerful, he found out, as a person who, listen to this, engages this book four or more times a week for over, there he is, for over 30 minutes at a time. He said nothing compares to someone who begins to imbibe this book four or more times a week, a half hour more or more at a time. In fact, he found this out. Listen to these statistics. Here's what he found out for a person. If you're willing to begin to actually take this and begin to drink it in four or more times a week for a half hour or more at a time, you are 62% less likely to drink to excess, 59% less likely to view pornography, 59% less likely to have sex outside of marriage, 45% less likely to gamble, 31% less likely to lash out in anger. 28% less likely to gossip. 28% less likely to lie. 26% less likely to neglect your family. 20% less likely to mishandle food. Anybody here have a food problem? 20% less likely to mishandle money. 40% less likely to experience bitterness. 31% less likely having difficulty forgiving others. 31% less likely to feel discouraged. 30% less likely to experience loneliness. 26% less likely to have difficulty in forgiving yourself. 14% less likely to experience fear and anxiety. 
Now, let me give you the positive impacts of, of just imbibing, drinking this thing in four or more times a week for 30 minutes or more. Listen to this. If you do this, you are 228% more likely to share your faith. 231% more likely to disciple others. 407% more likely to memorize scripture. And 218% more likely to give to Jesus and to the things that advance his kingdom. In other words, he found out you're going to use your money wisely. You're not going to spend it on the temporal and the trivial. But you're going to be using your money to expand Jesus' kingdom and the eternal Hebrews 4, 12 states this. This book is active and powerful. It has the ability to cut between soul and spirit. It can change and revolutionize your life. Jesus says you drink this book in. You drink in truth and you will begin to experience freedom in your life. It has been said that if you sit in a barbershop long enough, you will get a haircut. I believe that's true. But you know what's equally true? If you begin to take this book, I challenge you letter by letter. I challenge you to start in the New Testament. I challenge you, in fact, just to start with the book of John. Four times a week. I, you really should do it more than that. Five times a week, minimum. Half hour. If you begin to just drink this thing and you know what's going to happen? Truth begins to get in here. No, it begins to get inside you and chains begin to break. Strongholds begin to melt. You begin to have a freedom that you never knew was possible. Never ever knew was possible. There is nothing more powerful than the truth. And if you really, really begin to imbibe this, I'm I'm challenging you, you will begin to experience a freedom and a power and a presence of the life of God and the Holy Spirit in your life that you never, never thought possible. In fact, Paul says this. Paul says that there's three incredible, incredible benefits of just Drinking truth in. Four times a week. Let's just go with five times a week. Half hour or more. And just begin to allow it to speak to you. Just begin to allow the truth to speak to you. He's going to say there's three incredible benefits if you wind down and go to communion. Skip, can you just put up those? Now watch this. Hold firmly. Here it is. To the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain. And that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Listen to this. Paul says the first great benefit. Now listen to this. The first great benefit is if you really begin to just four times a week. Let's go five times a week and just drink it in. Half hour or more. You know what Paul says? He says, when Jesus returns, when you stand before Jesus, you won't be embarrassed. Do you realize that Jesus is going to return? It's a promise. It's something you can take to the bank. One day, each one of us will stand right before Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, when I drink in truth, I'm not going to have to worry about it. I don't have to fear dying. 
I really do not fear dying. And I'm not saying I've lived perfectly, but I'm saying the more I drink this in, it does impact my, it, my thought life begins to change. Remember how we talked about grumbling and complaining and just how it's destroyed you? Do you know that 80%, 80% of us have negative thoughts? Negative thoughts just destroy you. No, they really do. It clouds your entire day. But as you begin just to drink in truth, it's absolutely amazing what begins to happen. Light begins to come inside of you. Light becomes to come, literally begins to come inside of you, and it begins just to change you, and it begins to change me. It is so powerful. And so when Jesus comes, I don't have to fear. I do not have to fear him and standing before him. I really look forward to a good judgment. Secondly, Paul says there's a second benefit. He says that, you know, when uh, I just drink this book in, when I drink in truth, he says when trials come, when tribulations come, when struggles come, I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to fold like a house of cards. You know, when Paul wrote Philippians, you know, he wasn't in a Hilton in Rome, poolside, sucking on mint tulips. Do you realize the guy was in prison? No, the guy was in prison. It's an incredible thought. He was going to stand before Nero, the emperor of all emperors. I mean, there was no one more evil or diabolical than Nero. Nero very likely was going to put air between his head and his shoulders. Yet Paul was able to make the good confession to Nero. You know what that good confession to Nero was? The good confession was this. He said, Nero, you're not God. You're not God. Jesus is God. And I will serve him at all costs. Oswald Chambers. Skip, can you put up this picture? How many here know who Oswald Chambers is? You know, Oswald Chambers is... uh, Great saint from days gone by. If you are looking for devotional, his devotional is probably the number one devotional. My utmost for his highest. And it is an incredible, incredible devotional. And at one point in one of his devotionals, he writes these penetrating and powerful words. Chambers writes, you must be willing to be placed on the altar and go through the fire. Willing to experience what the altar represents. Burning purification, and separation for only one purpose. The elimination of every desire and affection not grounded or directed toward God. But you don't eliminate it. You bind the sacrifice yourself as the, on the horns of the altar and see to it that you don't wallow in self-pity once the fire begins. After you have gone through the fire, there will be nothing that will be able to trouble or depress you. When another crisis arises, you will realize that the things cannot touch you as they used to. What fire, by the way, lies ahead for you, he ends. You know what happens as I begin, and and, and I'll admit it, maybe you won't, but you know, if you ripped off my shirt, you, you would probably find a C, I've told you that, and it wouldn't be courage, it would be a coward. But I'm gonna tell you, as I've really begun to take truth more and more in, you know what happens? You begin to build faith. Someone says to me, how do, Pastor, I don't know, how do I get greater faith? As if somehow you can accrue it. You can't. Other than as I begin to know Jesus more and more in truth, courage begins to build within me. Faith and trust begins to build within me. And I begin to be able to do like Paul. I begin to say, Jesus, you know, I trust you so much. I'm going to pour, I'm going to trust you with the entirety of my life. And you know what you find out as you trust Jesus more and more with your life? You find out that his grace is sufficient. 
and his power is made perfect in weakness. Thirdly, as we move towards communion, there's one other great benefit, you know, of imbibing truth, this book, four or more times a week. And it's a great benefit. Paul ends it with joy. You know, if you imbibe truth, you know what truth is? Truth, truth is light. Truth is light. So if you struggle with darkness, if you struggle with being melancholy, if you struggle with depression, which a lot of us do, the interesting thing is, as truth comes in you, it's like you're inviting light in. And you know what happens as you become more and more filled with light? You begin to have joy. No, no, it's weird when you think of me. Can you think of me having joy? No, and, 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 and I actually begin, you know, when, when, when something happens, when you're full of light, you can't help but sing, right? And I just love that song. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Oh, come on, where? And I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love or truth of Jesus in my heart. It will change you. Isn't that something? See, you already feel better. Look at it. Skip, play the video. <laughs> 